Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and we are going to talk some more about the riots, or, or as Twitter says, hashtag Kenosha riots. So we just want to talk a little bit more about it because uh, we're coming on, hopefully, to the back end of it. We're still under curfew. Do we want to keep talking about it, though? That is the question. I want to talk about it because it's still trending and a whole lot of people aren't talking about it. I, I think that's partly what's driving me to say, let's talk about it because um, it's very interesting how many people were so loud and vocal and man, their Facebooks were, you know, profiles and their Twitter feeds and their Instagrams, they were, they were just posting you know what what i think you called it or maybe it was you that called it the black box have you heard of that mm, apparently me. it's um people they they would just post this black box as their um uh profile picture oh it's just blacked it out yeah yeah and it just showed and it was all with the george floyd situation and so here in the Con- greater kenosha milwaukee area people that we interact with <clears throat> You know, they so many were up there, and they're they're ta- they're putting up their posters. They're 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 doing their wonderful protests. They're talking about loving their neighbor, and on and on and on. And it's supposedly this grand discussion. And then you got people, you know, wonderfully posting. Look, people, if you say Black Lives Matter, it doesn't mean that you're a false Christian. Stuff like that. You're like, who's saying that? Um, but it was very popular. And then all of a sudden, Kenosha burns down. And I, I, I noticed the same people are just being very quiet. And it's like, why are you so quiet? Um, and, and, you know, if you're quiet because you're realizing, whoa, this is not what we signed up for, that, I, I'd be happy to hear that. I'm just not convinced that's what's going on. Um, I think what a lot of people saw here is firsthand how ugly it really is. And how and that there's some, there's a major disconnect between the concept of hey let's protest and let's be for social justice and what that actually looks like as you're watching innocent people's livelihoods literally be burned to the ground. Um, well, we've been talking. It's, it's really hard to stand in the middle now, uh, yeah. where you're you're being for some sense of social justice at least in the mainstream sense, but you still want to be a Christian. And but meanwhile, you're watching your city burn and riots take place. And both sides are now lobbing their tomatoes at you because I think the people who haven't been for social justice are now finally starting to speak up in light of the chaos that's come about. Whereas before it was, I mean, they weren't talking too much because it's like, whatever, you're just going to hold to some social justice position. But now it has real life effect on their city and now they're getting angry. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, honestly. So well, and we talked about the how I was struggling with just the temptation to literally burn the guy's yeah. van uh, parked out in front of my house. Um, we, I actually had a member 
thanked me for that. He's like, you know, cause he was feeling quite angry too. And he was thinking, man, I, I shouldn't be like this. And it's like, it encouraged him to know that you know, you're going to have these legitimate emotional responses because it's evil, it's wrong. And everything in your being, if you're remotely a person for justice is saying, this is not just, um, but also what played out was that sh the shooting and um, Kyle Rittenhouse now goes from literally being a person that nobody knows to now, depending on who you're reading, he's a hero or he's a white supremacist terrorist that uh, is the most vile piece of human flesh known to mankind. And which know, again is another opportunity to see just the great division right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what's interesting, though, is in all of this, we continue to see uh, money just being poured into this. And we keep making the same argument over and over again. It's really got to do with power. It has to do with money. It has to do with um, who gets to call the shots. And that's why we keep telling you and reminding you that behind all of this is that they literally want to break the, the social fabric of what makes United States, which is a constitutional fabric. They want to tear that apart and rebuild it in a whole different way, which is some form of Marxism. And, um, you know, and that if, if people can't keep that in their mind, then they're going to guaranteed fail uh, in interpreting what's going on is that there is an, a complete um, movement going on. In fact, um, I can't remember who it said, but they just mentioned uh, now a guy, uh, apparently it was a Trump supporter. I don't know a whole lot about it in Portland. Portland. He just got yeah. flat out. He was part of like a prayer, prayer group or something. And he just got shot in cold blood. Um, so he wasn't threatening or anything like that. Not like what was happening to Rittenhouse. And um and the guy's like, you know, if we're not careful, we have civil war coming. And a prominent person tweeted back to him. He's like, no, it's here. I, I, and, and I actually semi think he's right. I think that there's a war going on, and most of the people have not yet come to grips that there's a war. It, well, it hasn't. I made the statement yesterday. I agree with you. I just think it hasn't gotten lethal yet, but it's starting to. It's starting to. And the result of that stuff that happened in Portland is now you have a whole bunch of people essentially saying, forget it, we're going to Portland. Oh, that's right, you told me and about that. they're going with their ARs and everything, and they're like, you know what, it's here and it's on. And you're just like, crap. Yeah, you know? it's, it, I, I, I don't think people still <laughs> grasp how violent um, what's going on is gonna become. And they don't understand how violent it already is because you see it and you're, but, but it's, it's in little tiny bites and it's, you don't have the smell of the s s smoke, right? You're not hearing the crackle of the flames and you're not watching the, the sound of a building collapse under its own weight because of the flames like we did here in Kenosha. Um, when you see that, you start to become afraid. You start to realize this is far more than what I signed up for and, you know, we, we looked at the Rittenhouse guy and I made the comment that in 45 seconds, he was able to accomplish more in the way of calming things down than our governor could do because the governor won't use force. I mean, he, 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 he brought everything to his terrified. Halt. Everyone else, though, the moment two people are dead and the guy's arm is half gone, it's like, I think we'll all go home. And our streets, I mean, I, I've been able to sleep at night. We're able, you know... Um, so say whatever you want, 
so much, so much out there about the Rittenhouse guy. Uh, our fault is false. Um, however, he's got an incredibly good defensive team that's come alongside him, and they're already. I didn't know this. I was of the understanding that he shouldn't have been there with his gun because he's 17, and the law in Wisconsin is you have to be 18 for open carry. Uh, because people don't know this in Wisconsin, you don't have to have a license. If you're 18, you can walk around with a stinking rifle in your hands, and there's nothing illegal about which I happen to be an advocate. If I'm one of those weird ones, this is Matt Henry, not Matt Miller. Um, I'm one of the guys that would actually say this: then you're safer where guns are uh, prominent where a person is actually has to take into account that you could very easily be armed rather than where they know that likely if you're a law-abiding citizen, you're not armed because they're prohibited. Um, I mean, I know it's the, only the criminals have the, you know, it becomes this little uh, statement, but it's actually a true statement. Yeah, you, you think it's a deterrent. I, I, never, I never was angry as a police officer when I walked up on a guy who was lawfully carrying a weapon never uh, because they're always good people they're always law-abiding people they um the ones that bugged you were you never knew was the the lawbreaker um and that's that's really what is is happening with all of this so but i just learned that apparently that wasn't his weapon he, yeah, he, he didn't he had, transport it across state lines. He detained it legally here. He, and, and, yeah. and the type of weapon it was, he was legally allowed to. And so I'm like, like everything, we keep telling you, you can't rush to judgment because you don't know all the facts. I don't know the facts. Matt doesn't know. We're going to let this whole play, it's, the whole thing play itself out. But we are learning more facts about like the Jacob Blake, who is now, I, I just read that they vacated all of his warrants for his arrest, which are very serious warrants. Um, basically, he's no longer handcuffed. He's no longer a fugitive who's been arrested, uh, all because he got shot. And it's like, so what? He got shot. I, I mean, I'm really a jerk about that. But it's like, if, if you want to try the officers, fine, try the officers. But that doesn't make his crimes now somehow null and void. But now he's not. And how much has been raised, do you know? Over a million bucks, I, I think. Well, yeah, when I checked a few days ago, it was like 1.8. And so all of that going to this man, just just listen to some of the things about what we've learned now. These are just simple facts, uh, but you're not hearing most of them. Uh, you don't know that the off officers got dispatched to the location, not because they were looking for a black man to shoot, um, but due to a complaint that he, Mr. Blake, was actually trying to steal the caller's keys and vehicle. So that's a fact. Right. So all the police know is here's this guy and he's trying to steal a car. So they're already rolling with a heightened sense of awareness. Um, second, the uh, dispatcher had notified them that he had an open warrant for felony sexual assault uh, before they came. So they also knew that this is a guy that they're going to have to arrest because you have a felony warrant. You don't get to just say, oh, We'll just pretend we didn't see that. So they're already thinking, we got to take this guy into custody. Um, and you would want him. You, I would be angry as a citizen if you're like, you're going to let him go? Um, he was uh, also, Mr. Blake um, was not breaking up a fight between two women. That's a widely reported lie. Um, when they show up, that's not what's going on. Uh, 
he, he was also not ar- unarmed. He was armed with a knife. Uh, they didn't see the knife right away. Uh, but they, when they did see him, uh, they were on the passenger side of the vehicle. Now, the main video that you see uh, is from the uh, driver's side. But um, he, Mr. Blake actually had the knife in his hand, and they actually tasered him twice. People don't know that either. You always hear this, well, why didn't they taser him? It's like, well, they tried twice. And after you try twice, you don't have any more tries. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The taser, it's not like an unlimited amount of attempts. You can only go so many times. And so they try to, he's fighting them. He had one of the officers in a headlock. Uh, He was not complying. This is classic. This is classic police. Go back to Floyd. He wasn't complying with the officers. He was resisting. And so they go hands-on. And ultimately, when he opened the door and reached in, they had fear that he had an additional weapon in there, which he did. It was another night. But they don't know. You have to understand, from a cop's perspective, you have no idea what's going on. And you're not paid to say, well, we'll wait while this guy who already has a knife reaches in and grabs something else. And we'll, we'll just see what happens. And so it was out of that that he then uh, was shot. And you can say all you want about, well, he was shot in the back. Well, what do you want to, the guy won't turn around. You can't say, Mr. Blake, could you turn around? Cause we're going to shoot you now. And we want to make certain the bullets go on in the front. It's like, uh, that's not how life is. In fact, most shootings, there's at least, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, that most shootings, especially, uh, well, they're they're frequently found to have at least one or two rounds in the back, and it's simply because the force of the impact of the bullet turns the person, and or you shoot them and they start to turn to flee, and and you're still shooting. Um, you know they say, well, why did they have to shoot seven rounds? I'm like, says the person who's never been in a life and death situation. You have no idea the adrenaline pump right. um, that's going on, and if you don't know anything about those kinds of guns. Um, the first trigger pull is always the hardest. Um, and, and from that point on with these semi-automatic weapons, the hammer goes back already half cocked, and it takes very little pressure to pull it from that point on. So after that, it goes bam, 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 real, really quick. The point where I'm just making with this is um, the guy that's gotten, you said, $1.8 million already? Well, last time I checked. Um, was involved... And there's nothing about this that would indicate that there was a racial motivation or a desire or goal to somehow uh, kill this guy or to harm him. Um, and But it was seized with, with great, great vigor by the Black Lives Matter movement and the social justice movement. Um, and what's really going on is nothing more than this political agenda, right? We just keep talking about... Um, Get. Now, how how many times have you heard? Did you see the CNN headline uh-uh. with the fire going on behind? Oh yeah, yeah. Mostly no peaceful, fi- mostly yeah, peaceful fiery, protests. but peaceful protests. I'm like, <laughs> 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 I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to. Um, I don't know how to help people who would watch CNN and receive that. You're looking at something. What are you looking well, at? Well, I'm just looking up. Oh, okay. Um, you know, how, how do you, how do you, if a person would look at that and they're going to be convinced that CNN is somehow not twisted, 
that they could actually have buildings fire on fire and still call this a fiery but peaceful protest. But it's still going on. It's still being this pushed up. It's mostly peaceful. Um, I would argue that it's just less violent. I mean, would, would you say, when, have you encountered any of the marches? Yeah. Like, like the, the ones that came down by my house? Okay, so say about that. Or don't. <laughs> I mean, well, well, describe it. Well, at some point, they're just, they're too, I mean, they're too large for police officers to be able to do anything about it, even. I mean, it's just a mass sea of humanity that's flowing down through your neighborhood. How? I mean, are they just all or in an orderly manner on the sidewalk, just walking quietly? No. Well, I mean, obviously, they're taking up the streets, walking through lawns. Okay. So, so they're on your private property. Yeah. Um, I would argue that's violence. It's a small violent, but it's still violent. They're violating your, your, your property. property. Sure. You're right. It's your flowers, your bushes, your lawn, you're paying taxes. And now you've got a guy, not just a guy, but a mob right. of people. What time? Well, were it's very doing bullying that? Was too. It? I mean, cause you like the one that came through, golly, I don't remember what day it was Friday night, maybe. Um, and they're coming through because they want to hit the affluent neighborhoods. Again, I don't live in a big house, but people in my neighborhood do. And there's, it's, it was midnight and they're holding down their horns because their goal was to just disrupt people from being able to sleep. And they start yelling out of your house into the streets, out and, of your house into the streets. Again, I would argue that's violence. It's Again, it's not the same level of violence as shots, right? But that's not a peaceful protest. A peaceful protest would be people quietly, respectfully standing or walking in an orderly manner. Before curfew. Right. But but in, oh, that's an excellent point. Yeah. In violation of the curfew and violating, so multiple laws, what else were they doing? Were they doing the laser beams or the flashlights in the... No. I don't, well, I don't know about the one by us, but I've certainly seen those videos where they're just, they're shining lights in people's homes and then people are looking out their windows and then they start chanting the same chant out of your house into the street, out of the house into the street. Okay, see, and that's violent. There, there's a threat in there. Yeah, you, sure. you, you're really being told you have a choice. You come out of your house and join us. Or you saw that picture of that poor girl was in D.C. where the Black Lives protesters at the restaurant walk up onto the sidewalk oh, yeah. and they yeah. corner her. Yeah. And, and, and so in this name of being against fas fascism, they're literally telling you, you have to com comply with us and stand up and raise your fist or. Yeah. Well, we you will. saw it with all them coming out of the RNC as well. Oh, um, I forgot about that. That's a good point too. Just how, how frightening would that be? Well, yeah, because you had, you're, you're literally, you, I mean, you realize how quickly you can be overwhelmed in a moment. And if any one of them had had a weapon, um, they could have done whatever they wanted. And after the police would have taken care of it, they would have responded immediately and violently, but it would have been too late for you. Um, and again, my point in all of this for our listeners is to come to grips that when you hear peaceful protests, it's not, it's a lie. They're not peaceful. They're, they're violating laws after laws. They're threatening, they're, they're mocking, they're, they're, intruding, they're violating, trespassing, all of that kind of stuff. The fact that you don't have a building being burned down doesn't make it somehow a good protest. Um, I, I got stuck. I was, we, we, we just had our 11th grandchild born and I was 
told, hey, could you go and get some things for my daughter um, that make her more comfortable? So I got my two granddaughters in the car and we're driving up a road and um, all of a sudden a police officer pulls out right in front of me, hits the brakes and hits his lights. And so I stop. And next thing you know, I have to wait for a whole stinking caravan of more protesters. And once again, no permit, no right to do it. They're just blocking the traffic, driving along, hurling their fists and chanting. And I'm just like, this is, I'm getting really, really tired of this year, you know. Well, it keeps being overlooked. And it's because they can't, I mean, they can't really use force. Well, and I'm, but I'm like, I've got two little girls in my van and I'm starting, you know, I'm not in my four wheel drive now. So I immediately started like, We'll see. And I had already come up with an escape plan if I had to get out of there, if they had decided to start paying attention to the old white guy in the minivan. You know, that's not exactly your most intimidating thing. But the whole point is that there's these lies. It's an agenda for power. Uh, they're using these people. Um, we, it is a power thing, too. Because I, you, I mean, you posted a little bit off topic, but you posted that video on Twitter, I think. It was you. I think it was you. Um, of the older white guy just walking down the sidewalk. Oh, yeah. Um, minding his own business, by the way. I mean, he's by himself. He's just walking down the sidewalk. I think that sidewalk. was in Baltimore. Yeah, and uh, there's a man recording him from across the street, a black man recording him, and then comes up from behind him. He, I don't know if it was a brick or a rock. It was a brick. And he just blasts him from the back of the head, and the guy just drops over. Yeah. Um, and the one holding the video and the people around him just start laughing yeah and this guy then posts it to instagram and then hashtags white lives don't matter right now if that's not overt racism i don't know what is and that's violent but he can get away with it yeah because of where the narrative is right now right so this uh, isn't about justice same thing in chicago there's a little little old lady she's tr i think she's trying to get into our apartment or something but she's it looks like she's down in a parking garage it's hard to tell and two young guys come up and uh, and grab her and knock her out and and steal her purse and stuff. And she just the camera's showing that her lying there. And finally, somebody comes out and sees us. She's got to be seventy and lying there unconscious. And you know, it's just like this is wrong, people. Yeah. This is wrong. I think we're going to see I more. We're going to be seeing more and more of those. And <clears throat> well, when I the, saw a, the police are terrified. Yeah. To, respond i thought i just my immediate thought when i saw that was this is nothing new you know just even from a biblical perspective i just thought about genesis and the table of nations and the tower of babel and how way back then nations and races were just i'll call them i know there's only one race but nations were split sure god did this you know and you're seeing it in america where we're supposed to have this melting pot where all these different things come together and i'm just like Nothing's changed because the only one place where this won't take place is within the church. And yet now you have the church and pastors and leaders standing up and trying to make the nation only what the church can be, where there's one unity there. Well, and, and on top of that, then there was a uh, publicized prayer vigil or something. I don't know what to call it. It was interesting because it was for Kenosha churches, uh, the pastors of Kenosha church, but we never got the invite. But, but. <laughs> We went, to, yeah. we went to come anyhow. Um, and, and here's a reason why. In, in the promo video, uh, of the, there was a black guy now, a white guy, and the black guy is talking about how he wants the, 
the church to come out. We want to pray. We want to bring unity. But the whole time he's doing, he's wearing this T-shirt that says Free Huey. And if you don't know who he was, uh, Huey Newton uh, was the founder of the Black Panthers, a man who was a murderer, not not just a guy somehow that accidentally had a person die. He was a murderer. Uh, and there were several other murder charges against him that uh, they couldn't get juries to convict him because you were back in, in that day also highly threatened. Um, but so here's a guy holding up a convicted murder, Black Panther founder. This is a pastor. And this is our pastor, a pastor in our, our city. And he wants all of us to come alongside with him to go down to a park and we're going to pray for unity. It's like you're, you're, your shirt's not unifying. You're, you're not identifying with Christ. You're identifying with your blackness and that you can't do that. Hmm. That goes back to Thabiti, right? Until yeah. you approach to me as a black man, you can't approach me as a brother in Christ. It's like, dude, what happened to your good theology? It used to be really good, but you're out the window. And and so I got we got an interview um, with that World Magazine, and, and we talked a little bit about that. It's just, you know, it's, it's like... That that's not what the city needs. The city doesn't need to be seeing us coming alongside and praying uh, with the presumption that Jacob Blake was innocent and the police are guilty. That's you can't do that. Not if you're not if you're a godly Christian who loves justice. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. Okay. So um, we're still arguing then that people are being played. Um, we're presuming that these things, these events are all happening uh, without actually any shred of evidence. Um, but what bothers us is how much Christians are joining the fray. Yeah, that's a, I think that's the disheartening part. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, yeah, I'm not surprised when LeBron James walks off and says, I'm not. You know, Milwaukee Bucks, apparently, I didn't know they were playing in the playoffs because I just don't care about sports, but they decide we're not going to play our playoff game. And you're, why? Because of Jacob Blake. I, well, fine. You're all non believers, whatever. Sure. But a Christian has the divine revelation of God. You know, you, you, there's no excuse to not be able to interpret your world events. That's. Yeah. Well, you know, you got guys like Jamar Tisby, Color of Compromise. And we're going to review that book. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was I've been kind of going at him on, I, I, I barely know how to do Twitter. Barely. I just learned how to do a hashtag. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was feeling pretty, pretty smug. Yeah. But I've been going at him because he's just, he uses that Twitter feed. And, you know, I'm just like. Well, I, I saw a video. It was a live video. Somebody posted it. Some, some lady was protesting in Green Bay, I think it was. And just the amount of anti-biblical vile filth coming out of her mouth and in the hate and the calls for what I would just call flat out injustice. But of course they're doing it in the name of justice. And she's just angry, spitting mad, wants the whole system to come down, blah, 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 the stuff you keep hearing. And I'm like, I'm going to see who this is. And I click on her profile and her second post is a quote by Jamar Tisby. It was an awful, terrible quote. And I'm like, you know, there is something fundamentally wrong if overtly God-hating people are quoting you can quote you approvingly with purity of conscience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at some point your words are no longer framed by scripture. They're framed by some ideology, but it's not the Bible. And that to me is what is 
becoming so disheartening in this. At the same time, it's, I, I think it is revealing the true church I, and that which is not. I, and I, I think we could get in trouble with that in one level, but I, I don't think I would disagree with you. I, I think on both sides of the issue, I mean, you're going to have people who on, on the quote-unquote conservative or right side, or let, sure. you know, I don't know what to call it, the non-BLM side. They're going to come out as just vile human beings, too, who have used an American style of Christianity without ever having come to Christ, and right? And they're just going to make this as a, their own little um, mess. But, um, I, yeah, I've just been watching him and uh, Eric Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things they like and the things that they're quoting on face uh, not Facebook on uh, Twitter it's just, it, it alarms me it just it's like how how can you like that and how can you share that and how can you comment with an approving manner at some point you're going to be defined by those things and 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 so what we're saying is as Christians what we learned in this whole Kenosha riot situation is um, people are not thinking biblically they're not framing their 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 interpretive lens from from the word, but through culture, and I, I it, for me, it just goes back to how much the seminaries have failed uh, men who are going in to be trained for ministry, and how the churches uh, are being failed by their pastors who are not coming to bring them the word of God, and so we just raise up this whole generation of people who they have they have two lanes that they operate in. They'll talk about the Bible, but they'll live within this social justice kind of. Yeah. Uh, I think just, some of them, when, when, you know, when you crack that door and it all floods in, I think you're, you don't even know, it, but you're just swimming in, in all of it. And you don't, you don't even know that. And so you start adopting the terms, the phrases, and pretty soon you're just in this narrative and that's where you're at. Well, yeah. And, and how do you get out of that? You know? Well, and, I, that, well, expand on that. Cause yeah. Well, when, I mean, so if, if you're if you're thinking on those things and you're reading everything by these people and you're following their Twitter threads and you know maybe some aspect of what they're saying you can resonate with, so you just start reading a little bit more. You, you know, a book's recommended. You read the book, and before you know it, this just now becomes the standard of truth for you. This is the guiding narrative, and so anything in that you adopt as well, and then you throw in some Bible verses to justify some of that stuff. So none of it's been truly developed from a sound exposition of anything. It's here's an ideology and they're using the same words that we see in the Bible, like justice and righteousness and equity and those kinds of things. And you just adopt all that. And so now you've taken their definitions and you've placed them in the biblical text. And now you can justify your position in fighting for these things. And I think it, I think it's so damaging. I think we're going to see the fruit of it. Well, now I would say we're going to see the fruit of it a lot quicker than I thought we were. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think it's honest, and I think you know, for all the people who are listening, they're like, you know, okay, whatever. Um, and it hasn't happened in your city, but it's going to happen in your city. I mean, your police are still every single day having endless encounters with individuals, and any one of those can go bad. But what's really frightening in all of this for me is, well, we, we had that one police officer I invited to our house um, yesterday, and he just looked so tired. And I, I wanted him and his family to come over. Well, of course, I live in the literally the epicenter of this whole mess. And he was going to, you could see he wanted to come over. And then he, he just said, you know what, Matt, I, 
I'm not going to. He's like, I, Frank, to be honest, I don't even want to be in that part of the town right now. And it's like, that's just sad. That's just sad that for him, his gut has a little wrench as he sees that part because that's where he's camping at and being hurled obscenities and being reviled. Um, and it, it, but it's coming to your town, folks. My point is, you're, you're going to have to make a decision. People no longer respect the police, and they're and more and more are starting to say, "You can't touch me. You have to take this." And so, police officers are going to be actually more and more and more and more threatened, and they will defend themselves. And you're going to find it unfold right there in front of you as well. And you're going to understand that it it it's a battle. Um, What's I also find interesting is I'm not shocked with our society. I'm I'm saddened for our society, but I I found it interesting how we're also finding many of the pastors who have come out publicly for BLM and social justice and stuff who are who probably are starting to have second guesses, but they're afraid to do it publicly. Um, can you give a without obviously not getting too detailed? But you had that one event where. You know, you, yeah, well, I mean, I've gotten some messages from people, and because some people they appreciate the podcast and some of the things that we're saying, and yet I get private messages from people of how much they appreciate. Now, these the, are Christian leaders, yeah, appreciated the words, guy. and this was good, and and all that stuff, and yet they refuse to share things publicly because I, because they have friends on both sides of this thing. And they, they're not certain probably, my assumption is they're just not certain where they land. They're not certain how to think about the issues. Um, they like what they're hearing on one end. And because that's where the vast majority of evangelicalism is going, um, they want to be part of that. At the same time, I think just basic reason kicks in. <laughs> and, yeah, it's hard to deny that. Yeah. And so they're <laughs> like, well, I see the evil in this. I see the trajectory of this. Um, and then I'm hearing what you guys are saying, and it sounds right, um, but yet they won't publicly take a stand. I think that day is going to go away. You're going to have to take a stand at some point. Um, you know, a lot of pastors are saying, look, we need to be Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, and so on and so forth. We need to stand for government and righteousness and those things. At the same time, we need to be for um, black brothers and sisters and all that. I don't think anybody in the church who's even remotely, you know, has a biblical worldview denies that. But that's not the issue. It's what does that mean? That's yeah. where the issue is. And so I don't think people, many pastors are even clear in their minds on how to think on these issues. And so they're just, they're, they're being going, they're going back and forth as the tide comes in and out. And at some point they're going to be hitting the shore and they're going to have to take a side. Well, and we had people at our house and we were talking about this, at, about uh, a local church and how that church is in a tough situation because they've kind of remained quiet for a long period of time on this whole thing, but it hasn't remained quiet. And what's happening is you, you when you have a, a large contingent of people on both sides of the issue uh, within your church, and you've never actually taught on it, you've never just given a, a solid, consistent biblical exposition on these things, then both sides are allowed to maybe grow in an inappropriate way, I'm more towards American triumphalism and, yay, Trump is God's gift to America, and then also the opposite side with the BLM and, and whatnot. Um, and now all of a sudden they're finding what you're saying is like, how do I make a public stand on this? Because 
if I say one thing, I lose these people. If I say another, I lose these. But you can't be, be silent anymore. The, I think neutrality, I agree with you, it's completely gone. I think, I think if you're a pastor, I think the people in your church are going to require of you something more significant than we need to be for Romans 13 and for black brothers and sisters. Yeah. And it's that, okay, we, we understand. <laughs> but again, what does that mean? What does that look like? In my life, in my city, and and I yeah, and I think I ho- I hope more and more will challenge the guys who are trying to say, well, I'm for the lowercase b Black Lives Matter. You know, I think it's you know when we mocked that, I think thoroughly <laughs> last podcast. Um, it's like no, you can't. There, it's a movement, um, and I, I just think it's it's going to be one of those things that churches are ultimately going to have to make some decisions and. That I actually lean toward the sense of the Civil War with great sorrow, I say that, but I, I go back in my history about how, you know, many, many pastors um, during the first Civil War of our, our nation, you know, they, they, made, they had to make decisions. And it's like, we can't, we, either it's state rights or it's not. And either we hold to a, a position about slavery, we don't. And but but there's no neutrality, and um, I, I guess what we're trying to say to you guys is you should be paying very close attention to what's happening in our little town of Kenosha because it's it's coming to a town near you, as well. Um, the the real problem though is that we're, we're we're not standing on uh, biblical standards, um, and that that's what drives so much of this. So instead, what you get are the vague justice passages, right? If we hear Micah six eight quoted one more time, you know, Sure. Uh, nobody wants to know what justice actually looks like. So it's justice for Jacob. Um, and it's like, what is justice for a man who had felony warrants, fought with the police, had a weapon? What, what does justice look like? Well, he shouldn't have been shot. What do you mean? Why do I mean? I, uh, anyhow, but you also have a very common thing on with this is of of, of an overrealized uh, eschatology where you we we can somehow bring heaven on earth now that yeah. that everything's supposed to be happy and fixed and you know peace between my brother and my sister all over this land kind of the old 1970s protest song it's. It, it's not designed to be that way. We live in a broken world. And and I think a lot of Christians don't understand that you're going to see nothing. No nation will be free from oppression. No nation will be free from sin because it's inherent to our, our, our makeup. Evil's in the heart of man. Well, and even if you could make racism go away, which to your point, you can't because it's in the heart of man, uh, a racist-free society is still going to hell. Well, right, and so you have yeah. all these people that keep talking about kingdom, the king, the kingdom of God on earth right now. Let's do it. You know, the kingdom of God isn't in our city as it ought to be. So let's bring more in the kingdom. It's like what it? You mean so that there's less racism? Okay, but again, the race, racism-free society is still going to hell because they have unconverted hearts. And so, you, if you want to keep trying to uh, institutionalize things so that racism goes, you know, goes away. It's not, I mean, it's not going to happen. You're not going to change the heart through policy. It so, can't, right. But on the other side, we also have to get back to, you can talk all day long about Black Lives Matter and and you can use the various memes that we've seen and we've seen them all, uh, at least I think we have. But 
until you come to grips that there is only one race, truly, there are many ethnicities, but there's only one race, the human race, and that we are all image bearers. And you start to truly live that out in a very real way in your own life. Um, No change in your neighborhood is going to take place. You're not going to look at that guy across the street um, any differently as long as you want to maintain an unbiblical view of man. So again, until we start getting these biblical standards built into the person, we, we, we can talk all day long about changing the system, but the system never will change your heart. But right. a, a Christian can have his heart grow and change because of the Word of God, and so he can start to realize, I need to repent of how I look at that, that man or woman. Um, I've been seeing them wrong. That, that's radical. Um, and the more that the church starts to do that, in spite of the fact that our whole nation may burn to the ground, the Christian will still be functioning the same one way or the other. It doesn't matter, uh, I guess is all I'm, I'm kind of rambling on. We're going to give you a few passages uh, just to talk about in this, because in it, behind and, and through all of this is our frustration of how people um, continue to try to argue that the movement is a good movement. There's a few bad, bad eggs. It's a mostly peaceful protest. It's a mostly this, mostly that. And, and what we're trying to argue to you with you is that the whole movement is poisoned from the very core. It's, it's a broken, unbiblical worldview. And we just want to give you a few scriptures here uh, that we'll end, up, uh, end this with of, of how the scripture and how God looks at the Christians says, this is how you're supposed to function um, in this society. So the first one is one that's often taken out of context out of 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, in verses 14 through 17, Paul writes, do not be bound together with unbelievers. And then he says, and here's his argument, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, we always take that as, uh, uh, don't be married, don't to, get married. Uh, yeah, yeah. to an unbeliever. And that's fine, but that's not the point, actually, of it. In fact, if you look at the whole context, he's talking about ministry. And so listen to verses 15 and following. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, which is a, another name for Satan? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is, un- what is unclean, and I will welcome you. The, the point is very simple. Is Now now apply that to Black Lives Matter. Say, we're going to now march down the road with Black Lives Matter folks, or we're going to march down the road with the Antifa, or we're going to climb on this political bandwagon or that one. And the question that Paul would say is, what relationship do you as the church of Christ have to do with the unbeliever? And and the implied answer isn't some things. (laughs) That's a good point. Or there's vague overlap here in the pragmatic end that we both want. The implied answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. On both sides. Whether whether you're and this is what was always bad. You were this is before your time too, the moral majority. No, right, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, you know what it was. So with Jerry Falwell, well, his son has certainly fallen and shown himself to be what he is. Um, 
you know, but that's a good example is you got the moral majority and we're going to take back what's right for America. And, and that side is a non-Christian movement as well as the other side. And there's just no place for that for the church. And, and we need to we need to resist the temptation to say, well, we're going to, as a church, link arms with this political movement um, that is born out of an unbiblical worldview. So here's another one we already talked about last time, Ephesians 5, 5 through 8. For this you know with certainty, but notice how Paul is very certain. He says, no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, it's not, hey, be careful how you interact with them or anything. He says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Why? Because you were formerly dark, uh, dark darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children as light. Yeah. What I like that he, he starts out here, you know this with certainty. So Christians know something. And what is that? That, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man or idolater has inheritance in the kingdom of God. Christians can agree on that. But then he immediately says, Therefore, let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, you can be a Christian and be incredibly deceived or understand yourself to be a Christian and be incredibly deceived because what, what is the result of that? The wrath of God comes upon these things. In other words, you're professing Christ right. to some degree. And as a professing person, you understand that no immoral or impure person has the kingdom of God in them. And yet at the same time, you can be deceived so so as the wrath of God to come upon you. And again, I think that links with these previous passages. How do you know if a person maybe is deceived? Well, they're linking arms. They're being bound together with exactly bad ideologies. That and that that's goes all the way back then to like just looking at the Twitter feed of people, what they're liking, what they think is good, and what they're sharing. It's like you're you're sharing an unbiblical, godless ideology, and you're proving that you can't do that. You, you what? Do you have to do with that which belongs to darkness? Christians in America really need to wake up and we really need to come to grips that we're in a battle, but it's not a battle like most people think it is. It's a battle literally for truth and, and for the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. And as we've said many times, the best lies always have a good amount of truth sure. in them. And that's how sure. Satan works. He takes that which seems to be true and twists it slightly and I think that's what's so insidious about his deceptions. And so I have no doubt in my mind that this is one of those because he, we're using biblical words like justice or equity, these kinds of things that the Christian could hold up as truth. Um, and yet I think they're being twisted so slightly. And so people are biting the bait that has the hook in it. <laughs> well, you know? and we can see it because of the fruit, right? We talked about that also last week, but uh, yeah, you just look at the fruit. Burnt, people are being killed. People's lives are being destroyed. Um, and you can say all day long what you believe in, but the fruit keeps showing itself to be something that belongs to a fallen age. And so one more passage. Um, if you are reviled, Peter says, for the name of Christ, you're blessed. So First of all, Peter, if you, if you were being reviled or persecuted as a Christian and you're looking for Peter to feel bad for you, 
the first thing he'd say is, oh, well, you're blessed. That's a nice blessing. Yeah. And, and, and like, dad, now I want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to give me a cry face on my Facebook post. And he's like, no, you're blessed. Uh, why? Because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Then he turns around and flips. He says, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. And boy, we saw a lot of evil doing on these last few nights in Kenosha. Or a troublesome meddler. I like that one. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in the name, in that name, let him glorify God. Why? For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and sinner? And so he concludes, therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So I like that because it's faith and works. He actually describes faith and works in that last verse. He's like, you're going to entrust your souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Meaning you're not, you're not going to simply... Vaguely, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to go off and do these things. I'm going to continue to do what is right and know that God is doing what is right as well in this world and that he has not made some cosmic error because I'm suffering as a Christian. But it turns around and also says to you that as you do that, you don't ever allow yourself to get yourself into a situation where a person can legitimately point at you and say, you're a troublesome meddler. I mean, I couldn't, I can't picture a single Christian who could march. I, I mean, in my mind, I can't visualize anyone in Kenosha who claims Christ who could march among the protesters with any clear conscience. It's like, you, I mean, the filth that's coming out of them and you're, you're, you're linking arms with them. That's why we put these passages together. How, how can darkness and light coexist? You can't do it. Yeah, and, and for the ones talking about how they're not necessarily, you know, Antifa or even maybe BLM, but they're against, you know, police brutality and those kinds of things. A lot of those statements are coming out of the assumption that this has been race, racially motivated by the police officers. And that the police are actually being brutal. Yeah. Um, versus here's what the facts are, and here's the reality of policing. I mean, if I see, I mean, I'm tired of seeing those pictures of police officers in Germany and Finland where they're basically just wearing a vest. And it's just like, yeah, because that's what policing truly is. Um, you're dealing with people who are stealing flowers, you know. Um, yeah, I just read actually a story of Baltimore police officers just pulled up, pulled over a car that was driving a bit erratic. They thought maybe a drunk driver. Both officers got shot. And it's like, that's what a routine traffic stop looks like in Baltimore. Um, you know, and they're also, by the way, black officers, a black officer in uh, St. Louis just, or Kansas City, I can't remember. I always get those, those two cities are the same to me, um, was shot and killed, uh, shot in the head, black officer. No, I asked Jamar Tisby if, uh, in, on Twitter, if his life mattered. I got no reply, yeah, wow. but I'm like, where's, where's the outcry? Where's the, yeah, and you don't see the police standing up and protesting that and bashing windows and now driving around with their weapons and shooting people or, and yeah, it's, it's just, there's something broken in all that. It's yeah. heartbreaking. Well, I, and then just on another note, the thing that's, and I shared this with you, but um, how much it seems to me 
that within the church we've lost that eternal perspective right now as we're caught up in the the emotions of the moment and all the chaos and craziness going on. Um, we forgot our role as sojourners and strangers, which is to bring the gospel yeah. to Christ. You know, so the guy who got shot in the head, um, there's a video that came out of him. That oh, you're talking about here, by yeah. The it was like a minute before he got shot or whatever, and he, he just he seems like a pleasant guy. I'm saying that sarcastically. Yeah. Um, he this is the one who's a convicted pedophile, right? And um, he's taunting. Yeah, and running at the mouth and all that stuff, and. You know, a few minutes later, he's dead. And there's the graphic video of him on the ground, and you see literally his life draining right. from him as his eyes are rolling and all that. And I'm like, yep. And he is in that moment, a few seconds from standing before his maker, and he will spend eternity in hell. And I'm not saying Christians aren't weeping at that, but at the same time, I'm not seeing Christians weep at that. I'm not sure that many, I'm not sure how many are weeping at that for the right reasons. So, they're not weeping. Are they weeping because that was a horrible thing that they never seen a person get shot and here it was live streamed on their phone and that shocked them and they weep? Or are they weeping, like you said, because you just watched the soul slip into eternity without Christ? Yeah. And, and a lot of them are like, good. And I'll use their language, okay? This isn't mine, but it, you know, something to the effect of now we got one more scumbag off the streets, good. And it's just like, okay, on principle, I understand what you're saying. Um, at another level, you're right. He is gone. And now he'll spend eternity in hell instead of glorifying his maker. And if you're thinking right now good, then you don't understand grace. Yep. You it don't. Not, you don't get it. No. I mean, I, you may have received it, but you don't understand it. You don't understand that you are that man, that you are... You are those things apart from God's incredible grace in your life. It's the point I tried to bring out with my last sermon on Levi the tax collector. I don't know if I could if I did it, but the most vile in that society was him. Yeah. The most vile. And everyone in that city knew it. And here's Jesus coming to him and saying, Follow me. I'm gonna choose you to build my church. You're gonna be one of the twelve. And he becomes Matthew. Um but we're looking at the guy who's now dead and one more cleaned up off our streets who's a scumbag, and it's just like somewhere the church is forgetting its role and we keep talking, we keep posting, we keep retweeting. And it's just like, you will give an account for all those retweets <laughs> yeah, and those comments you well, make on Facebook. And, and the same would go back with Kyle. And unless he knows Christ, him too, right? He needs Christ and you can call him whatever you want, but mm -hmm. we, yeah, we, we just, the, the church needs to really repent in many ways, pull back, slow down and, Think about what is your role in, in in this whole situation, because one way or the other, massive powers are at work in our nation, and and it's you see it. The cracks are showing, and the violence is getting more and more and more prominent, and it's all going to explode. One way or the other, is going to happen, and the church is still going to be here. And the church is whether it goes this way or that, the church is still going to have to decide what. What is its message? And I, yeah, I think about like Nazi Germany, Germany, and and how the church, how so much of it just went with Hitler, and and basically sold its soul, mm -hmm. and and then the few remained, but many of them were persecuted and hated. And I just think we're we're seeing well, well, we're, precursors. We're, we're a blip on the radar. Bottom right line for us would be, we'd say Christians are always to be truth tellers, and that begins and ends with the gospel. But it's we need to speak truth. We need not jump to conclusions, and we need to be seeking the souls, 
not just simply our political agenda. Would you? Right. Yep. So, sorry guys, I don't know if this was a little wandry. We literally have a few notes on a document here and some Bible passages. And it was probably more for us just to kind of help unload because this is all we've been, we've just been immersed in this. It's it's on our minds. It's on the minds of all of our flock. Um, I, well, I, like I had all those families over at my house and when the guy walked up and he's like, oh, wow, I had no idea how close you were. <laughs> he's like, you weren't joking. You're like right there. I'm like, I was right there. And it, for him, you know, so even then knowing I lived somewhere near it, but they had no grasp of, oh, you were right in it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been our life for the last week or so. So yeah. we got it off our chest. You, <laughs> you got to listen to it. Yeah. So next time we'll talk about something else, social justice-y. Um, but until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. Mm -hmm.